Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Whenever I see a whiteboard, I instinctively just want to start writing things on them. Hello. Welcome. It's me, Will Young. It's me. Welcome to another episode. It's another great one. It's OCD and sound therapy. What I try and do is sort of take a topic, look at that, and then also take a type of therapy and look at that as well. Have you noticed that? I don't know, but that's, I think, the working premise behind this. First of all, we talk to Helen from Wiltshire, who lives with OCD. I'm Will from Wiltshire. She describes the triggers for her contamination OCD and when she got her diagnosis, how it has affected her day-to-day life, treatments and her outlook now. It's really interesting. And I asked her when she first started noticing her OCD symptoms. I think I recognised it only a good few years ago, but I genuinely believe I had it from probably the age of about six or seven. I couldn't cope with the school environment. I would worry about my family the whole time they were there. And I used to do what I thought of at the time as as prayers in the toilets to, you know, please God, make sure my mum's okay. Please God, make sure my dad's okay, my sister. And I'd have to do that every break time to make me be okay for the next set of the day. And that was really, really hard. But it got worse as I grew up and, and got older. And eventually they sort of declared me school favourite because I was just so emotional. I would cry at school. I couldn't engage. And I think it's because it was overwhelming in that I couldn't concentrate. I didn't know what was coming. I didn't know what other people were thinking of me. There was just too much for my brain to be anxious over. So I, mm. I believe that that actually it was an easy an easy out for them to just say she's school phobic. Um, yeah. So I think... I've sort of on and off had traits and I think as I went into adulthood and I was a little bit more mature and a little bit more engaged in what I was doing I think it subtly subsided so it just calmed down a little bit and wasn't so intrusive in my life but in 2016 it just came in and it just slammed slammed me you know to the floor in as much as that I got poorly with um, a sickness bug and I was completely out of control I didn't know where I'd picked it up from I didn't understand why other people hadn't got it and I thought I'd been careless the fact that I had it and those around me just didn't have it and so I emotionally beat myself up about it so I was like you've got yourself ill you haven't done enough to stop it and I then sort of started thinking about how I could prevent illness of any type in the future, but particularly a sickness bug. Part of that was it it wasn't particularly a traditional sickness bug and it sort of waxed and waned. So I spoke with the GP who said to me, oh, it's probably easing because you're not eating during those times. So just don't eat. I literally took that as gospel. That was a literal thing. So I ended up 
going four days without eating anything. Started eating again, but it was bland. It was toast. It was potato. The blandest food. But that was a way of controlling that I wouldn't get ill again. And I could manage that. And then the hand washing started. And sort of this was in May. By August, I was probably 10 hours a day washing my hands, eating very little, not able to touch my dogs. And my hands were literally infected just where they were so red raw. And it was only when I went to see a different GP that she actually said, yeah, this is this is OCD. And it felt like it was because it's that typical contamination OCD. It was entitled to have that label. Ah, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, that's basically where the diagnosis of OCD came from. How were you feeling at that time? I was not myself. I was so tearful. My life was functioning around the amount of time I needed to wash my hands for, the true worry. And, you know, this isn't just a worry of like, oh, I've got a deadline tomorrow. This is a worry that you can't breathe from that is just in your head going around and around. And it's snowballing. It's getting bigger. That's you just touch that door handle. It's 100% got bugs on it. You already got yourself ill. You need to make sure you don't get ill again. You are responsible for everything. Yeah. And you're just overwhelmed. I was so exhausted from not just worrying, but physically standing at a sink with soap, washing my hands, not sleeping, because I'm thinking, is there something I've forgotten? Did I do something today that I haven't accounted for and made sure that I've made safe? And what about work? So yeah, work just became almost impossible. I was working as an administrator at the time, and I just ended up having to go sick because I I couldn't. Fortunately, I was able to work from home, which is part of the role, which was great. But I then ended up just having to go sick because there's no way I could do it. If I wasn't washing my hands, I was cleaning my desk. I was using 10 pairs of gloves to be able to clean my desk to then go and wash my hands for another half an hour. It was so consuming and I, I also just couldn't focus. Like, even if I was there reading an email, I would be worried about saying something wrong in that email that I would then start to feel a bit panicked and a bit bit worried. And then all of a sudden, that would be another worry to the list that I needed to now go and check my sent mail to make sure I hadn't sent something that I shouldn't have done. And I, I do remember just feeling utterly hopeless Mm. I genuinely thought do you know what I'm just taking oxygen from a world where I'm just contributing nothing I can't work I can't function of a day I can't even walk my dogs what am I doing Mm. and it was awful because I was living with my family and they were so worried about me that I felt a burden to them and I felt that I was completely unfair to have implicated this on them they were suddenly living with this OCD as well. Mm. And I was so conscious that all of the, because there's so much literature online as well, that they say, don't allow other people to collude with you. So, you know, don't allow other people to do things. And I remember at one point, I just couldn't even make a sandwich. And all I needed was someone to just make that sandwich for me because I I was hungry. And the lightheaded is I probably hadn't eaten for about 20 hours. And you know, the literature says whether you live with somebody or whether you've got OCD, don't allow somebody else to do it for you. And all I needed was a break, just someone to make a sandwich for me. And I felt 
overwhelming guilt to suddenly ask someone, could you just help me? So it's a lot. So it's, it's, it seems like it can just completely destroy one's self-esteem and yeah. self-belief. and Completely, yeah. Yeah. And also, by the way, it seems quite valid that you would be feeling that because it sounds... I mean, I heard you say you were exhausted, but, I mean, it sounds exhausting. It sounds... Yeah. I mean, I've been very... You know, I've had my own difficulties at times in life, and I remember th- I've been remember thinking to myself, God, what's the point in, you know, as in, like, I'm just taking up air, you know? I remember yeah. thinking, God, what's the point? This doesn't seem like living. No, yeah. just seems like kind of existing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? And I suppose that makes me think of what help was available... Once you got the diagnosis, what was recommended and, and what that what has that journey been like for you? Yeah, so firstly, I, I probably want to say that, you know, the NHS, we're so fortunate to have it and there's no two ways about it. There are people that would not get help whatsoever. But unfortunately, I, I really believe that it's a failing system because it's just not got the resources it should have. And that is something that I can say from my well, That's own, your reality. yeah my own first-hand experience is that I saw my GP in the August and I had to self-refer to a system called IAPT so I she wasn't even allowed to refer me and bearing in mind how consumed my day was actually trying to refer yourself is is almost a challenge you know oh you just ring this number yeah but I have to clean my phone 40 times I've I've already lost my phone through water damage it's not just as easy as just picking up your phone and dialing a number you can go on the computer and do it yeah again I have to clean my computer it's it's not just a simple it'll be done in five minutes so that already felt like it was a barrier for me but actually equally I I got over it so you know I was able to self-refer I got seen relatively what I felt was relatively quickly with them um, which was six weeks. So I, I thought that was quite a, a good turnaround. At that point, I got told, you need to see an OCD specialist in our service. We will refer you, which was great. I then got a phone call to assess me and I was deemed as routine because I could actually go out my front door into my garden and that was their threshold for routine or more urgent ended up being I think it was about four or five months um, from that phone call so it was after Christmas that I eventually saw somebody who as a practitioner she was absolutely lovely she was so caring so passionate about her job but she was limited that she could only give 11 40-minute sessions 11 40-minute sessions just isn't going to break the back of it I got to a point where I knew that my sessions were becoming more and more limited that I was withholding more and more information so where I'd go away and do a treatment that we decided to do I wouldn't report back on how bad that was or how much of a failure that had been because you knew that it was coming to To a finite end yeah um yeah discharge from there after 11 sessions and at that point I was then entitled to go back to my GP who was then entitled to refer me to what they would call a secondary psychological care and again an assessment of that deemed because I was managing my symptoms at home I was suitable to go on a routine waiting list which was a minimum of nine months things would just get worse and worse in that nine months and things for me like 
looking after my dogs were becoming more and more challenging and it's when you just can't even do the things that you once enjoyed I'd have no downtime people can go and sit and watch the telly in an evening I've got to go and wash my hands and there's no Mm. there's no compromise in that you know favorite programs Mm. on tough OCD says you've got to go and do this do you have a perspective I get a sense that you've got a quite a good perspective on it now though yeah I mean I'm going to ask this question sort of in a reverse way but what is your perspective on it now and then what helped you get there yeah so I think my perspective is that I have got OCD and that's that and it will it will follow me to my grave and I know that but I think I've got an ability to to recognize that it comes and when it comes I need to ride it for a bit and then manage it I can't preempt how I'm going to manage it and how I'm going to fight it because it will find an alternative route and an alternative way to to just manipulate a situation however what I do is just like I say ride that wave so if that means and it still happens but if that means that I have to use a tea towel to open a cupboard door that's what I'm going to do but I'm also going to say okay I'll do that today but tomorrow we're going to think about how we're going to do it rather than do you know what we're just going to go with it it sounds sounds like you've got a dialogue and that you've got some acceptance and forgiveness and empathy yeah, I think so. And I think I don't ever want to go back to where I was a few years ago because that, that was just god awful. And I I wouldn't wish that on literally anyone. And I think that's why it's important to talk about OCD because it's a very, very lonely place. And mm. when you're there, when you are beating yourself up, trying to second guess every little thing, you haven't got space to be kind to yourself. Because it's just, there's just too much going on. So I think being in a place where I'm not where I was and I'm not where I want to be, but I'm here and I've made a journey and, and I'm I'm stronger for it because, do you know what? It didn't knock me over. I'm, I'm still here. And yeah, would I like to be in a position where I don't have to wash my hands 45 minutes before bed? Of course I would. To be able to just crawl into bed would be lovely. But I also recognise that if I just let that consume me without saying, do you know what, that's the one compromise we're going to make, then I will be in a worse position where I wouldn't have room to say, let's just be nicer to myself today and just yeah. be a little bit easier. Was there, was, and I don't know the answer to this, is medication an option? Yeah, so when I saw my GP right at the very beginning, they prescribed me medication, which... I couldn't take because I was worried about the side effects you know as much as I was I was trying to do all environmental things that might cause me a risk and might make me poorly there's no way that I could take medication because you read that patient information leaflet and it's got millions of side effects all of which would make Mm. you ill and you don't know to what degree so I really really struggled with that and it was only because I was on such a long waiting list And I got to such a point of desperation that I couldn't think of anything else. I had to take the medication. I wasn't working. I I wasn't functioning as a human being. I wasn't a sister. I wasn't a daughter. I wasn't a friend. I was just nothing. So I took the medication. I'm still on medication. And it recently, thanks to the pandemic, I did have to increase it because the anxiety 
of contamination oh, I bet. was just everywhere. Mm. Well, I really, I think that you sharing your story, you know, helps educate people. Thank you. I hope so. I you really know? do. And it's a lonely, lonely place. And I think if there's a book, if there's a podcast, if there's a video on YouTube, whatever, that you can get a little bit of help from, then take it because it's too lonely to just be punishing yourself. So thank you. Thank you so much for allowing me to talk as well. It's been so educational, honestly. I really thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How amazing is Helen and how brilliant to share her story. I mean, it's so powerful to share, very nerve-wracking. can make one feel very vulnerable, but also through our vulnerability, you know, we can find solace as long as it's done in a safe way. Um, so I'm really grateful to Helen. Do get in touch if anything's come up for you as ever. Now, next thing, Jane Everett, it's sound therapy. I did actually go down to Cornwall and have a sound therapy session with Jane on the most beautiful afternoon. Jane is a sound therapist who runs Silence and Noise. We talk about how we process sound in everyday situations. It's fascinating. She told me about her first experience at a gong bath. I used to work in fashion and it was quite stressful and a little toxic and I did so much meditation and I was trying so hard to find some stillness and some something that kind of gave me me back out of a really hectic job and I tried every type of meditation every practice every therapy it felt like and someone said to me you should go to a gong bath because that will just take your hand and walk you there and I had no idea what a gong bath was. I think I was about 26 at the time, maybe. Um, and I remember going to this quite dusty garage in Shoreditch. It's where the Shoreditch Bridge is now. And it's before the bridge. That's how long ago it was. Um, and there was like six of us in this dusty room. And it was really cold. And I had no idea what to expect. And I remember lying down and just having this life-changing experience. And at the end of it, thought, oh, my God, that is what stillness feels like. That's what I've been looking for. And it was amazing. And I literally was immediately addicted. And I started looking at all the sound, all the gongs, crystal bowls. I knew nothing about any of it. I'd seen the odd bit in a yoga studio, but that was it. And I um, and it made it my purpose to seek out all the sound healers in North London. And I think I found all of them. <laughs> like, Annika, <laughs> of them. <laughs> like Annika Rice on Treasure Hunt. Yeah. So what's what's the feeling when when people start banging those... Uh, sort of I mean to me they almost look like sort of giant bottle tops <laughs> do you know what yeah, I mean yeah totally 
and some of the small ones really do. You're like, wow, that's a, a huge bottle. Yeah. Um, and I think it is a very transcendental thing, actually. And everybody's experience is different and unique. That's really important to say. Um, you know, and in the hundreds of gong baths I've given as well as received, they, you know, every time is completely different. But the thing that is unifying is this kind of sense of wholeness and stillness. And it's really the the level of vibration coming into the body is so disruptive. It's kind of knocking out all of the the chaos and all of the all of the noise and especially for people like me who could not turn the inner monologue off it's the off switch you've always been looking for and suddenly you're like oh my god now I'm just here and I'm just living without all that chatter in my head and it was honestly the best thing I've ever I couldn't even describe it I feel like people are coming more round to body-based therapies and because we concentrate a lot on the mind do you think, do people still see sound healing as like weirdy beardy and oh well yeah lovely you're just gonna, do, do you know Absolutely. what I mean? Yeah totally, um, I've, yeah I've had mostly from, well certainly initially my parents and many of my own family thinking I'd run off to Cornwall to bang drums in a yurt or a teepee and I'm like didn't she used to have a career? What's she doing? Um, they couldn't. They couldn't quite work out what happened. And I, you know, I'd been on my. Own, I was on my own mental health journey. You know, I had to leave London. I couldn't. I couldn't be there anymore. I just completely couldn't be there anymore. I'd run out of everything with the career, and my mental state was terrible. And I found that putting myself in this space completely saved me. And I talk to people a lot about the intersection of science and spirituality. You know, this is not weirdy, crusty hippie stuff. You know, I can wear floaty dresses and spawn around and make it a bit hippie and crusty if you want me to, but I just don't think that's where it's at. You know, sound is at the forefront of science. We've been using sound in medicine for years, but we're not used to calling it sound because we're so used to the conventional labels we put on it. You know, we use sound to treat things like kidney stones. We use ultrasound every day to, to scan them in pregnancies. And there's, there's so many ways we use sound and we just don't label it that way. And when you see this, you know, when you see these gongs, you know, they're a little bit, confusing or oppressive or intimidating so people tend to meet that with fear I find or at least curiosity yeah and then once they experience it then they want to hear the science and then they're hooked yeah they go where I went and start chasing down sound healers all over their towns and villages so but I do I do think there's a case of people still think it's out there on the edges and actually to me it's it's quantum physics you know it's yes. pure science so it's you know I always and I can always tell when people come to my teepee for a session the usual thing is that there's a couple generally one of the couple is a yogi and really engaged and really excited and they've bought their crystals and they want their tarot and their astrology reading too and their partner is sat there going uh-huh why am I here and um and it's always interesting I usually find that addressing the partner and sharing the science and helping them to understand how we already work with sound in everyday situations and actually you know how you process sound in your sleep how you respond to sounds in your waking time and when you start to connect them with those stories, they're like, okay, maybe this is for me. And then you get them to lie down and then, you know. And then, then, they, and then they'll experience They've got no hope. Then they're sucked yeah. in. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Are there specific things that that you've witnessed, obviously not naming names or any of that, but mm. that, it, that sound really has? Because heal, healing is such a big mm. word, isn't it? We're all looking for healing Absolutely. in some way or the other, I think. Um, yeah. Have you witnessed... Have you had surprises as a practitioner now that you think, yeah. my God, can you give any examples? Absolutely. And I mean, I should also caveat that I, for years, was very uncomfortable with the word healing. 
and I used to try everything on my website and my Instagram not to say healing and I've got a bit softer about it in recent times but you know a sound journey is how I bill it and there's yeah. also sound therapy which is a slightly different yeah thing. that's it yeah um but we you know and I do both but we've had um I mean I've had some incredible experiences in ter- on the healing modality in terms of sending people and guiding them through a sound journey a transcendental experience most often the thing I see is a release of a big trauma um, an emotional release, something they haven't been able to connect with, cry about, experience, explore, or even name. Um, often it will help to, particularly in the case of things like PTSD or deep anxiety, um, it can be the trigger that gets that person then into the talking therapy and into the support they're looking for. Um, or maybe they'll find sound as the support. Um, I've seen and personally experienced a lot of physical shifts so the sound the basic science of sound is a high vibration will come into the body it will seek out low vibrations which could be a physical thing like a headache period pain twisted ankle muscle strain and the sound will go straight to that area and will activate it heat it tingle you know you know all about it you know where the blockage is and the sound is trying to break through the blockage to lift up that low vibration into a high vibration and that can work you know anxiety we often feel here issues with self-expression yes up in the throat you know, your body tells you it's a perfect architectural blueprint, you know, and the sound just helps us see the parts of it that we are not tuning into. So I've, I mean, I've experienced myself a lot of lifts in muscle strains and chronic back pain in migraines. Um, one of the things I have personally is a brain tumor. And when I got into sound, I spent a lot of time working with sound with my tumor to help me understand it better. It's, it's actually an acoustic neuroma, ironically a sound tumor I always call it and it's um and it really you know I can almost feel it now my you know I did have radiation as well I should say and I think the importance of that science and spirituality mm. east meets west it, you know there's a place for sound alongside other medicines but for me personally I felt like it was very beneficial I work a lot with autism um sound is incredibly calming and creates an amazing space to hold the experiences of of people who are working with spectrum conditions incredibly powerful with Alzheimer's and dementia we can help to connect people back to memories back to experiences we can lift them out of anxiety and panic due to disorientation and place them in a place in a in a position of of being held um I have a client I work with with Parkinson's who finds that her tremors are so much improved after a sound session that she feels much more comfortable holding her grandchild so she always times the two to sit together and you know and actually we use sound you know sound is used often in parkinson's deep brain stimulation is just sending frequencies into the brain yes we can do that with tuning forks yeah so i think there's increasingly a space for therapies and support in the community that isn't necessarily purely medicinal and certainly not chemical and i think people are beginning to be open to that you know I, I have had obviously the the last couple of years has been strange with what's been happening in the world but I've definitely been taking calls from you know from special needs schools and from MS groups and charities who want to try this with their people and give them the opportunity to explore it so I think things are changing I really hope they are just that there's a place for that self-exploration I think we're quite conditioned to look outwards for solutions and actually there's a real opportunity to find something inwards as well and and that, that again they can work together I'm not for a second saying that this is the magic bullet to all things in the world but I think it's something that goes alongside many of the other modalities we have and as you say acupuncture reiki um you know ecstatic dance embodied movement all of these different modalities can help us get into our body and then sound can help us hold that full experience and then get out of it and I think you know so many of us and so much of our modern life is about kind of getting out of your own head whether it's 
in meditation or on the dance floor or in some way like we're all so locked in in so many ways and actually this is to me the thing that really was the game changer was like oh this is always there I just can't hear it every time I see someone who's a bit low or really low or really really low or stressed or carrying PTSD or trauma or living with conditions that are just so in their head they can't move on from them I'm like just just lie down just for five minutes I promise you won't regret it and they never do and I just want as many people as possible to know that it's there because people are just just stuck in unhappiness and why should we be it's been amazing thank you so much thank you Right, let's end by hearing some of the sounds that Jane makes. Are you feeling relaxed? Oh, you know, I mean, I love the sound of those gongs. It was quite epic when I went there, by the way. I mean, pretty, pretty powerful stuff. I think it unlocked a lot of stuff, actually, for me. What a mixed show. We've had OCD and we've had sound therapy. I've got a panting dog next to me. She's got a bit stressed. There's a thunderstorm. She doesn't like thunderstorms. So sorry about the panting. It's not me. I haven't been on a run. Um, you've been in touch. You know, I love it when you get in touch. Someone from Instagram. Hi, Will, and the podcast team. Can I just thank you from the bottom of my heart? This is very sweet. I've suffered from body dysmorphia most of my life, and your podcast on this matter made me reach out. And today I called my doctor to start my road to recovery. This is amazing. Who knows where it will lead, but I already feel like a weight has been lifted. By just saying it out loud and taking the first step, it brings tears to my eyes knowing that this might be a way out. Oh, that's so, thank you. Thank you again for what you're doing and helping people like myself take the first scary step. This is amazing. This is why I do this. So thank you. And I'm really excited for you. And I'm thrilled for you. Thank you for getting in touch. Someone's emailed. Hi, I've never had equine therapy officially, but I did have my own horse for 21 years. Badger passed away last year. Badger, what a name. I was just turning 42. I had him for half of my life. Uh, it breaks my heart as I write this, but I want to help encourage people to embrace horses. 
Badger was my rock. At 21 years old, my life was just starting. I qualified as a veterinary nurse, which was hard work to study for and is hard work every day, physically as well as emotional. I made two wonderful best friends who I met through horse riding, and they would later be my only bridesmaids and are still my best friends today. But before I met my now husband, I had a soul-destroying relationship. It didn't end well on more than one occasion. And where did I seek solace but with Badger, my horse? I felt ashamed and embarrassed by my failed relationship. Badger didn't care. He loved me for who I was. I will be forever grateful to my wonderful boy for all the years he gave me. And I urge anyone to spend time with a horse. It works both ways. You're giving to them too. Well, I mean... It was a brilliant conversation with Dr. Andreas, the equine therapist. Amazing. And yeah, do look him up. It was, uh, he's based in Richmond Park. Absolutely brilliant. Someone from Instagram. Hi, Will. I heard you read out my previous message on your podcast and you asked what my chronic illness is. Yes, I did. It is PMDD, which stands for premenstrual dysphoric disorder. I've never heard of this. I've suffered for years and took the last resort on the NICE guidelines to have a hysterectomy. This helped for about three years, but then the symptoms came back. I'm always fighting for answers to get better and find a solution. What I'd really love is to learn how to accept my illness. It feels such an embarrassing illness as no one understands or wants to talk about it. And it makes you feel so isolated. Thank you for getting in touch again and telling us about that PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Well, maybe that's something we can look into more. Thank you. This is uh, another email. Hi, Will. I was diagnosed with a blood clot in my leg in early March and have been off work since. I've been unhappy in my job for several months now and have struggled with anxiety. Your podcast couldn't have dropped at a better time for me. During my time off, I've had space to think about what I could do to help myself and listening to some of your guests has helped. So much so, I've began applying for a few jobs. This is amazing. And you've been offered one. Um, I'm so excited to start this new chapter. Esme's panting. Sorry. Um, I also have my first talking therapy appointment tomorrow. Finally, I met a friend today who confided in me that her son has dissociative disorder, and I felt I understood the basics of this after your podcast episode on it. Keep it up. But this is amazing because I'm really liking that quite a few people are getting in touch, not just sharing about themselves, but also it seems like they're seeking out help. And this is just amazing. I mean, wow, 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 wow. Someone else from Instagram. Your podcast about boundaries really resonated with me. I'm now working on setting healthier boundaries for my own mental health. That's really kind of you to be in touch. And you know, I love boundaries. This is someone from Instagram. Another smasher. <laughs> Please don't stop, Will. You're making a huge difference to many people's lives. Thank you and congratulations to you for everything you've achieved with the podcast. This work is fascinating. Lots of love. I mean, what a week of lovely messages, Esme. It's all right. The thunder's not going to hurt you. I know. People are enjoying it. Any suggestions on how to help with a dog that's scared of thunder? Thank you so much for getting in touch. I mean, I really, it's just, I love it. As ever, if you want to get in touch, you take a note, Esme, with a little pause. Email hello at wellbeinglabpoc. <laughs> so I've just got an image of Esme sending me a letter. Dear William, <laughs> please help. Um, email hello at wellbeinglabpodcast.com. Twitter at the wellbeinglab. Uh, Instagram and Facebook at the Wellbeing Lab podcast. Uh, next week we've got agoraphobia and shamanism. I mean, oh, I mean, I, I know it might sound odd, but that's music to my ears. Um, and in another, on another personal note, uh, I'd like to thank everyone who's bought my book, uh, Be Yourself and Happier: The A to Z of Wellbeing. It's top five in the Sunday Times bestseller list. Oh, couldn't believe it. I'm really thrilled. And uh, I really hope it, it helps um, people like this podcast. Um, thank you to people that have bought it. Lots of love to you. See you next week. Bye. Did you know the Wellbeing Lab is produced by Audio AF and is part of the ACAST Creator Network? 
It's true. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 